everyone. This is Tom Salemi of Device Talks. Welcome to our newest podcast, Striker Talks. Few companies in the medical device industry touch the entire spectrum of healthcare like Striker. From accident scenes to ERs, from ORs to patient rooms, Striker delivers the supplies, tools, and devices used to provide patients with the highest quality of care. In this podcast, we'll talk with the company's leaders to gain a better understanding of how innovation, new technologies, and teamwork will further Striker's mission. Let's go. This is Tom Salemi of Device Talks. Welcome back to the Striker Talks podcast. We're going to talk about looking inside the human body through advanced visualization. Our guest today is Andres Rosales. He is the Vice President and General Manager of Endoscopy. We're going to talk about Andres' career. He spent some time overseas in Europe. And we'll talk extensively about Striker Endoscopy's portfolio, including its 1788 visualization platform, its SpyFi technology that was just received 510K clearance for lymphatic mapping within breast cancer. We'll talk about how surgeons are adapting to new visualization technologies and what AI and machine learning mean for visualization technology going forward. So I'm sure you'll enjoy this conversation with Andres Rosales, again, Vice President and General Manager of endoscopy. But first, I'd like to bring in our sponsor, Global Med MDI. I'm here with Greg Tobin, CEO of Global Med MDI. Greg, what can you tell our listeners about Global Med MDI? Yeah, certainly. So, Global Med MDI is a provider of outsourced manufacturing services. In November of last year, we acquired Global Med, an innovator and manufacturer of extruded products. This specific acquisition expanded our extrusion capabilities and further complemented our molding capabilities. As a result of our recent growth and the continued expansion of our capabilities, we decided to rebrand the company to better portray our expanded global network and the strong culture that we're building within the new integrated organization. As I think about the company, I like to describe Global Med MDI as a company that partners with our life science customers to build and deliver highly engineered products in the areas of molding, extrusion, coatings, and assembly. Specifically, we help develop and manufacture components, subassemblies, and devices for our customers. We have 16 production locations around the world, including China, Mexico, the US, and Canada. And in terms of our priorities, our number one priority is quality. On a daily basis, we focus on quality, on-time delivery, and meeting commitments that we've made to our customers. And I can proudly say that we're a trusted partner to many of the leading life science companies around the world. I will take a break from my conversation with Greg Tobin, but if you want to find out more information about Global Med MDI, please go to its website, moldeddevices.com. That's M-O-L-D. E-D-D-E-V-I-C-E-S dot com. Now we'll begin our interview with Andres Rosales of Strikers Endoscopy Business. Well, Andres Rosales, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. It's uh, exciting to talk to Stryker about your endoscopy program. I know you have some some big news and, and a rollout with 1788 
We're going to get into that in a moment and hit upon some other high points in your portfolio. But as always, love to learn about our guests. Everyone has a story as to how they found their way into the medical device industry. What was your path? So my path was a little unique. I was introduced to, to Stryker actually back in college. I was making my way through a career fair on my way to practice. And I ran into a, a former athlete at the school I went to and she oh. was recruiting for Stryker. And she said, hey, Andreas, great to see you. I know you're heading your senior year. You really need to come work for Stryker. The culture's great. It fit right in. So my first question is, who's Stryker? And, <laughs> Good question. Yeah, you, I, I knew right how to get to the heart of it. Yeah, I was Stryker and what's MedTech. So you're looking at this booth, it's beautiful Stryker, and they had some products. So that was my first introduction to what Stryker MedTech was, really was unaware of the space. This was 2001. I was in the Bay Area. Technology was booming. I really was focused on pursuing a path in finance or maybe a consulting firm, Arthur Anderson at the time, Deloitte whatever it might be. I did interview with Stryker a couple of times, but passed and I had some very nice finance jobs lined up. However, anyone remembers 2001, the bubble burst. And sure. as I was graduating, all those beautiful finance jobs, they, they literally evaporated overnight. And my backup, backup, backup plan was wine sales. And <laughs> so what we know People drink wine in good times and in bad. It's maybe just, more so in bad. Yeah, I'm more sure so that. bad. <laughs> they're, they're, they're drinking the uh, maybe lower quality yes. wine, and and so it was a great couple years with the winery. I learned a lot about sales, about customers. I had an opportunity to lead very early in my career, which excited me. But then the time came where I was they wanted to relocate me to the Midwest. That was not something. I was interested in. I loved California. And I had colleagues and friends that migrated over to MedTech and they enjoyed the space. They enjoyed the operating theater, helping patients get better. And so I started the interview process and exploring and was able to get an interview with Stryker and ultimately land a sales rep role in Sacramento, California. And that was coming on 18 years ago. So I've had a great run with Stryker, started as a sales rep, did that for almost five years and then was given the opportunity to come in to the building here in San Jose, California and, and have a marketing role. And while I was in the marketing role, I was fortunate enough to pursue an MBA and completed that. Mm -hmm. Then went out and did some sales management. And then the big moment came where I was tapped on the shoulder to head over to Europe. And we were restructuring Western Europe in 2015 and I was given the opportunity to go in a marketing capacity to focus on the NOBU visualization portfolio, which is the camera ecosystem, and build the competency there. And I, I had a, a fantastic seven years in Europe. Had yeah, what was what was that decision like? To uh, was there any question? I mean, I, I I would have a hard time saying no to working in Europe. So, well, there there was a little anxiety. I had never been in Europe. So never had any opportunity to travel outside of the U.S. for the most part, outside of Canada and Mexico. So to get this opportunity, the first question was, are you sure I'm the right person <laughs> to, go over to, to go over to Europe? And indeed, you know, something I love about this organization, they stretch in, they take a chance on you. So I, I packed up my bags and it was easy. I was it was just me at the time, packed up my bags, left San Francisco and went into Amsterdam first time. Arrived, found an apartment, and I moved 
and establish myself. And what was maybe going to be a two-year, two to three-year assignment turned into seven years. A lot of opportunity presented itself. So I thoroughly enjoyed my time in Europe. And then I had the opportunity to relocate back to San Jose in my current role. Moved back to the States about a year and a half ago. Been in role. It'll be two years in December. So still fairly new in this role. So great run with Stryker. What kind of growth happens when you're working overseas outside of your your native country? I mean, I think you probably I'm English is, is spoken there frequently, so the, I think the language barrier was probably less than if you're going into Asia. But what were, what were some of the challenges that tested you and that that allowed you to grow? And is this an experience? I'm guessing if a if a younger colleague said, "Should I do this or should I not?" you would you would say absolutely go. But uh, what, what's the growth like? Well, I'll start with the the latter question, and I would encourage anybody, whenever, wherever you are in your career, if you get the opportunity, take it. It's a wonderful adventure. You'll grow. Your family will grow personally, professionally. And it was a little culture shock initially. Absolutely. So 15 countries I was working in, every country very different. Europe is not one country. It's 15 very unique countries. Good point. So the, the personal growth was exponential. It's something I never would have been able to achieve staying here domestically. And then on the business front, very different healthcare systems in each one of these countries. Language, definitely a barrier. Amsterdam, okay. very lucky. English spoken by all televisions in English. But if you go to a neighboring country like Germany, Good point. It, it's not uncommon where English is very broken or, or in Italy or you go to Finland or Sweden and you would have to change the way in which you communicate, be very thoughtful about your word selection, the pace. Humor doesn't always translate. You know, <laughs> so, that would be so, my downfall. <laughs> yeah, there, there, there were many of, of dinners or presentations where I had blank stares from the audience. <laughs> a lot of uh, a lot of fun learnings over that's there. That's my cold sweat nightmare right there. So, in, and yeah, I've heard that mentioned before. Someone else who had an executive who worked overseas that. It really had it really required them to to focus and hone their communication style. They had to be very precise with their words. They had to say just pretty much what needed to be said, so it got communicated correctly. Is that something you learned as well? Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. And it, again, it's very different based on Southern Europe, Northern Europe. Yep. The tone, the body language. It, it uh, it's a never ending process of how to communicate when you don't speak that language and you have to be very cognizant that when they present to you, they're typically doing it in non their na- not their native tongue. Mm-hmm. And so are you missing some cues and information in the translation? And so it, it was, it was fun, learned a lot, picked up a little bit of language here and there. Do you still have those muscles in your communication style? Like when you talk now to your colleagues in the U S do you still find, do you find you're more, focused into the point than you, you might have been previously, that you still think that's the best way to communicate? It's a great question. The communication has changed if I'm addressing a U.S. audience. Luckily, in my current role, I have global responsibility. So it's not uncommon for me to be on a call with Asia Pacific or Europe or LATAM. So those muscles that I build over in Europe, they're serving me well in my current role and also educating my U.S. colleagues, hey, we're becoming more global and we're going to have, we had the European leadership team at our, our meeting last week. Just be cognizant. English isn't their primary language. Yep. Their communication style might be a little different. 
So just think about that. We use a lot of isms in the U.S., a lot of sports analogies. Yeah. They don't land. (laughs) (laughs) What sport did you play in college, by the way? I'm just curious. You mentioned I was I was a water polo player. Oh, wow. Okay. That doesn't look easy. No, and it's 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 a niche sport. It's (laughs) predominantly California and some of the East Coast schools. Yeah. Yeah, it was fun. You didn't uh, not not a great opportunity to go pro, I imagine. No. In Europe it's pro, which is yeah, it's it draws a crowd and a lot of the talented US folks will go abroad. Interesting. International. Yep. I, I had no idea. All right. Well, there I go making a joke that landed poorly because I was I was wrong. <laughs> my, my little wisecrack missed. All right, we'll take a quick break from this conversation to bring back our sponsor, Global Med MDI. Once again, I'm talking with Greg Tobin. He is CEO of Global Med MDI. Greg, how does Global Med MDI work with medical device companies? Over the past seven decades, we've built an extensive portfolio of engineering and manufacturing services. We have deep expertise in complex molding, including injection molding, blow molding, and dip molding. We also have deep expertise in various types of extrusion from single and multi-lumen tubing to corrugated tubing used in respiratory and smoke evacuation applications. We provide assembly services, and we also have our coatings business. And our coatings business includes the design and development of best-in-class automation and production equipment. Throughout our company, we also provide front-end design for manufacturing services. And I can honestly say that our customers score us very high in our ability to support their upfront development needs. When I think about how we work with our customers, I would say that we have an entrepreneurial get it done mindset, and a passion for solving complex challenges. These behaviors are inner DNA in our culture. As you know, culture is critical to the success of any organization. And as part of our rebranding, we are formalizing tools to support our culture of learning and solving problems, all with the customer's point of view as our guidepost. To share one example, we have created an internal university that offers various types of training that range from lean processes to new materials and technologies to providing superior customer service and more. We're bringing bright minds together for better manufacturing. Ultimately, we want our customers to think of us as the partner who can solve their complex challenges. Hi, Greg. I'm sure Global Med MDI has a lot of services to offer the medical device industry, but let's highlight a few of them for us. What can you tell us about? Certainly. I would like to highlight how we support advanced applications within the surgical suite. We are a leader in extruded tubing, covering a range of products, including smoke evacuation tubing. This is an interesting area for us as we've developed a novel process that improves the user experience. We also excel in complex molding, and in particular, we're known for precision gears, which are critical components in many minimally invasive surgical devices, such as shavers. Interestingly, other molders often come to us for the production of their gears. The final area I'll highlight is our coatings group, which provides a continuum of services. They work end-to-end from the coating application to the manufacturing of the automation equipment. Whether it's a lubricious coating for a gear or coating extruded tubing, our coatings group has the expertise to support virtually any application. 
As a result, our customers can focus on the overall clinical efficacy of the device and the smooth operation within the surgical suite and really rely on us to manage the production of complex components and assemblies. Our mission is to provide exceptional value to our customers to ensure their success. And together, we can do more. All right. Well, that concludes my interview with Greg Tobin. Again, he is CEO of Global Med MDI. If you want more information about the company, go to its website, moldeddevices.com. That's all one word, moldeddevices.com. So let's start talking about the, about the business. You've had some great news recently with endoscopy. Let, let's uh, hit upon some of the high points. Start with the 1788 platform. Tell me a bit about what it is. What approval did you get recently? And what do the next couple of months look like for you? I love the question. We couldn't be more enthusiastic about the 1788 visualization platform. This is actually our 26th generation camera. We've been doing this a long time, dating wow. back to 1978. It's our fourth generation fluorescence capable or near infrared imaging platform. And it's our second generation 4K visualization system. So a lot of history and technology in this platform. And why is it special? If I think back to early days when I started 18 years ago, visualization, it was all about resolution. Mm. We were selling TVs for the most part. It was Here's standard definition. We made the evolution of high definition. And then high definition was 720p, 1080i. Then we got to 4K. Well, there's diminishing returns there. So the image is, is really good. You go to any department store. If we go to Best Buys or Circuit Cities anymore, most people probably don't. Costco, all the images look really good. Yeah. So now the technology, as I mentioned, fourth generation fluorescence capable it's what anatomy, what critical structures can we allow the surgeon to see that they can't see with their naked eye? They have a beautiful mm. 4K image, white light. It looks beautiful. But what else, what other information can we provide them? We like to say we enable you to see more so you can do more. And with this fluorescence imaging, we can inject the patient with a dye or, or targeted imaging agent like ICG where you hit a button, we use a laser in the camera to excite the molecules and you can visualize tissue perfusion, for example. So why is that important? Blood flow. Blood flow is important. Whenever you're, you're cutting or you're connecting tissue, if there's not blood flow, it's not going to heal. So historically, surgeons would just look at the tissue and say, hey, it's pink, it's reddish. I'll apply some pressure. It will turn white. Then it turns red. We have good blood flow. Not very scientific. So now we can use a different imaging modality to verify, hey, you know what? I thought my, my eye was telling me that is properly perfused. I'm going to use this extra tool. Oh, my goodness, it's not. Interesting. And so that, that's one aspect. The one that gets me really excited is lung cancer. Lung cancer, number one cancer globally. It's also the most fatal cancer, cancer globally. So with 1788, we have an imaging modality where we can illuminate illuminate and excite a drug called Cytolux. And we don't make the drug. We partner with OTL, the on-target laboratories. And so we can now visualize this Cytolux that's residing in the lung, lung cancer. And we're the only, 1788 is the only platform in the U.S. on label via the FDA that can visualize this cancer. So now 
the surgeon goes in with their instrumentation and they can see this cancer glowing in front of them. So again, another tool so they can feel more confident about their approach mm-hmm. and removing as much of the cancer as they can. So we're, we're thrilled. Initial cases have gone fantastic. And if you think about another number three cancer in the world, colon cancer, and it's yep. very lethal. It's the second most deadly cancer in the world. This platform, the technology is meaningful where the surgeons go in and they remove the cancer. And as I was mentioning, tissue perfusion, they need to reconnect the colon. And so when they can visualize there's healthy blood flow there, mm-hmm. they're much more confident that patient's going to heal and they're not going to have adverse effects after recovery. So there's a lot of other technology in here, iterations based off prior generation cameras, but those are two of the the technologies we are thrilled about with the 1788. I want to get into SpyFi in a moment, but just I want to also first understand how do surgeons, how quickly do they adopt to this new visualization? Is it they see it, they see the colors, they night and day, they're like, oh my God, I could just see so much clearer. This is, this is, feels natural and this is the way to go or is there and it probably varies but is there is there also a learning period for some where someone you know still they're just used to doing the pink red thing and they just have they like to trust their own eyes is, is there a transition period or is it like boom this is this is the future and i'm on board right away How, what's that transition like if there is one tom i love that question that is something we face every day surgeons as they go through their training they're trained at that point in time let's say it was 20 years ago on the technology that was available to them at that period in time. And this technology didn't exist. Some of them, they're not really adopters. They say, listen, I've been doing these procedures this way my entire career. My outcomes are beautiful. I don't think I need these additional tools. Well, it's incumbent upon us, industry, Stryker, myself, to create the learnings, the medical education events, to educate them, show them the clinical papers we've invested in saying, hey, doctor, this technology will actually help you reduce adverse events, mm. improve clinical outcomes. And you know what? Come to this Congress, hear from other thought leaders within your space of how they're deploying this technology in their practice and let us educate you on it. And then, you know, we're starting to see momentum there. And we've seen great momentum in this space. You go back just five, six years ago, it was in its infancy and mm-hmm. it still is. The future is super bright around other markers, other agents to identify different pathology or critical anatomy. But there is a learning curve and some people are more open. The younger generation, obviously, they get very excited when mm-hmm. you can make something glow. You can use you know, algorithms to identify different anatomy. They're very open to it and they have you know, a lot of appetite to learn where some of the older generation, it might take a little more work. Yeah, I'm sure it's the same with every special. And I imagine if you have data suggesting or or, or reflecting a, a drop in adverse events, you're going to get the administrators and the payers on board as well, pushing for that. That's right. Yeah. Yep. Interesting. So let's talk about your other news surrounding SpyFi and open field visualization. This is exciting. Back in June, we received our 510K approval for lymphatic mapping within breast cancer with our open field Im- imaging platform, the SpyFi. And this is important, as I mentioned, these top cancers globally, you have lung cancer, you have colorectal cancer. Well, number two is breast cancer. So breast cancer, it's, it'd be hard to find anyone, I'm sure on this podcast or anyone that has not had a loved one 
or, you know, wife, a mother experienced breast cancer. I mean, it, it touches all of us. So with this approval, with our open field camera, with ICG, a breast cancer surgeon can map the lymphatic channels when they're doing the procedure. And why is this important? You want to get those lymph nodes. When you're trying to understand breast cancer and your approach to treating the patient, you want to get, it depends on the, the severity of the cancer, a couple lymph nodes, many lymph nodes, and then you want to test to see if cancer is residing in those lymph nodes, you might have to take a more aggressive approach. The current gold standard is injecting a patient the day or a couple days before a procedure with a radioactive marker, which will reside in the lymph node. So they'll use a, a audible. So beep, 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 beep. And it will make a higher pitch noise as you get close to that lymph node and they remove the lymph node. With our technology, it can be injected day of during procedure and you can visually map the lymphatic channels to those lymph nodes. So from a, a process standpoint, it's a much better experience for the patient. And it just gives the surgeon, you know, another arrow in their quiver, if you will, to, you know, provide the best outcome for that patient. And it's very exciting. We have exclusivity for the next three years with our indication. And we're, you know, the, the customers in which employ this technology, they're very excited. And they, they think this is going to help them provide better, better care for their patients. So we're, we're very enthusiastic about the approval we recently received. What does the exclusivity mean? How does that work? That means no other, none of our competitors can market in this space. They're not going to get FDA approval as we do with lymphatic wow. mapping. Yeah. So how does that uh, impact a rollout strategy or does it? Do you just sort of follow the same strategy? You just know you sort of have a bit of a head start. We have a head start. Yeah. Yep. That's yep. It. It's nice to know we have a head start and we're, we're leaning in on the medical education, educating the surgeons on this indication, the technology. So it's nice to know you have those three years head start. Sure. Final question. I mean, as we're talking about imaging and, and identifying tissues and anomalies and such, I mean, we're, we're seeing throughout med tech, the inclusion of, of artificial intelligence, machine learning, those tools to help surgeons and others even, even be able to more accurately to see what needs to be seen. How has that played into what you've got so far? And how is that going to play? How is AI going to play into where Stryker's headed in the future? You nailed it. AI, ML, it's all around us. Topic of discussion, and it definitely is in med tech and absolutely at Stryker. We recently established an organization, you might be familiar with it, it's acronym DRE, and it stands for Digital Robotics and Enabling Technology. And within that organization, we have an individual, Sid Satish, and he's a VP, VP of AI. So this, this organization sits in the middle of the 23 BUs that sit around it. And he came over from an acquisition, Gauss. Gauss is a technology that was here in Silicon Valley, very innovative technology where they would take a, an iPhone or an iPad, take a picture of surgical sponges that would be used to soak up blood and other liquids and would be able to tell you how much blood is in that sponge. So you could understand if that patient, and this was really used in um, postpartum procedures and if, if they're hemorrhaging, how much blood have we lost simply by taking a picture. That is remarkable. Sponges soaked with all types of different fluids. So that's one of the technologies we have, and that sits with our surgical business. But it, he's in the middle, and he's making sure we're collaborating across all the different businesses. As I think about my business, the Endoscopy BU, we have a technology where as a surgeon's doing 
a minimally invasive procedure. They're in the abdomen. The abdomen's full with air. They're cauterizing tissue. It's creating this surgical plume. We have an algorithm that will identify that and flush the plume out of the abdomen so the surgeon doesn't even have to think about it. They're always going to have optimal visualization. And, and there's so many tools we want to develop here at the NWU. And what's, what's really nice for my business unit is we have the piping established. So we have these boxes we call hubs installed in tens of thousands of operating through theaters around the, around the world. And what these do, they collect surgical images, videos, they push and pull information from, from the operating theater outside. And then they pull information in, whether it's a CT scan an MRI, and it allows the surgeon to put these images on the screen, or if they record video or images, put it into the patient's medical electronic record, or maybe they use it for research. Again, that data is theirs. That's the customers, that's the patients. But we, Striker, we need to collect that data. So creating these algorithms and the tools, it's all predicated on collecting high quality data. What's great is we have the tooling and plumbing in place. Now the next step is collaborating with our customers. And how do we collect and aggregate that technology? You know, and get the data in a meaningful way where we can create the tools to hopefully you know, reduce cost, find efficiencies, prevent adverse effects, you know, ultimately improving the patient experience. And that takes time. It takes time to collect the data, to validate the data, and then to create these tools. So we're working across Striker to create these partnerships and collaborate with customers around the world to collect high quality data so we can go and create these tools. So we're hyper-focused on it at an organizational level and definitely at my BU's level and the future's bright. There's a lot we can do with it, and it is going to be that partnership with our customers. Fantastic. Well, it's uh, there certainly will be a lot of news coming uh, in the future surrounding this technology, and I'm sure we'll be uh, back again talking about your next new exciting release. So, Andres, thanks for, for joining us on the podcast. Well, I appreciate the time. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for letting me talk a little bit about myself and the, the wonderful technology this team is bringing to market that's going to have I truly think a meaningful impact on the communities in which we serve. So thank you for the time, Tom. My pleasure. All right. Well, that is a wrap. Thanks so much for joining us on this episode of the Striker Talks podcast. Please make sure you subscribe to the Device Talks podcast network. We're out there in any major podcast application. You'll get future episodes of Striker Talks and our other great podcasts sent directly to you. Please share this episode on social media so others can find it. Please connect with me on social media, whether you share it or not. I'd love to be part of your network and about part of in a part of your medical device conversations. Finally, we'll have Striker well represented at our Device Talks West meeting. It's happening on October 18th and 19th at the Santa Clara Convention Center. If folks from Striker would like to attend, please reach out to to me on LinkedIn. I'll tell you how to make that happen. It's very easy. All the other folks can go to devicetalks.com. You'll find the Device Talks West page there. Please register and join us on October 18th and 19th at the Santa Clara Convention Center. It's going to be two great days of conversations centered around metal device manufacturing, product development, bringing products to market. We'll be talking about neuromodulation, diabetes, surgical robotics, vascular, and much, much more. Go to devicetalks.com to register. All right, well, that is a wrap. Thanks again for joining us on this episode of the Striker Talks podcast. We'll have another episode coming your way 
very soon.